0: Welcome to a very merry episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined once again by my dear friend, Courtney Nguyen. Happy holidays, Courtney. How you doing? How's your spirit?
1: My spirit is good. It must be said. No, it's been great. You know, what's really crazy to think about, Ben, is what is today. Today is the twenty
0: second of December. When this
1: publishes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are about eight days away from the season.
0: Yeah. From our flights, I fly on the thirtieth.
1: You fly on the thirtieth. I fly on the first. Okay. So yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm in a I'm a good I'm in a good holiday mood. The weird thing, though, right, is that nowadays because like I do so much of my Christmas shopping online. And because I also do it fairly early for some reason, like back in November or throughout the year, that I haven't actually, I don't think that I've caught like the commercial Christmas spirit. Like I haven't really hit the malls or been having to deal with crowds and all that sort of stuff. But instead, my family is in town, which is great. We're set to have a fairly large Christmas gathering on uh, Christmas Day or New Year's, one of the two. And yeah, so in that way, I've got the spirit rolling rolling in the deep.
0: Speaking of the commercial Christmas spirit, can I tell you about a run-in I had with somebody who very much had it, possibly to their detriment. I was at Target earlier this week just buying like – because I just you know – I'm still sort of settling into my new apartment buying a few basic home things like a trash can and like a few desk organizer, trays, basic stuff like oh, that. You
1: fancy going to Target I'm, for that I'm stuff. I'm so
0: fancy. So I was – it was – stores obviously very crowded with Christmas shoppers and there was this couple in front of me. Uh, these two women who were really excited about this Wonder Woman Christmas ornament they had found at Target, but like didn't have a price tag on it. And it was like a little bit like chipped, but it was the only Wonder Woman one they had. And they just loved Wonder Woman so much. And so the woman cashier, uh, whose name I probably shouldn't use in case this you see at the end of the story why I would not <laughs> want to reveal who this was. was like, oh, well, you know, it's Christmas. So I'll just like they said like they said like, oh, it was marked as three dollars. And she was like, well, I'll just give it to you for a quarter. And so she just, like, goes, like, and overrides this target system and gives it to him for a quarter and, like, knocks the price down on a few other things. And she's like, Merry Christmas, what? Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then it's my turn. I'm next in line. And I give her my, tar- my my trash can, which was, like, a fancier trash can I normally get. It was, like, a... $30 trash can it was all shiny and metal and stuff. And she looked at it and she's like, I'm gonna give you this for <laughs> <She laughs> 10. And she goes for 10, knocks everything else down by like around 50 to 75% and said, I-, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I was like, Well, thank you very much, you too. <laughs> and I was trying to like signal people like, hey, you should probably get in this person's line because she's given wild deals, but while trying not to, you know, draw too much attention to her that might get her fired on the spot for, you know, giving away store inventory. All of it was it was magical she was she was my favorite elf,
1: oh, and she didn't get caught or in trouble or anything like Not I, that thought I saw. It was gonna end, that she got in no trouble. i w-
0: I just wasn't gonna say like her name and uh, store location in this story, but i I, defo her, don't I do that to, uh hopefully hopefully other people got it and hopefully maybe she reeled it in a little bit because she was living pretty dangerously if there's anybody checking checking these uh these tills
1: what did she look like Kristen Wig? <laughs> no she
0: didn't look like Wigg. she did have a Santa hat on so maybe that's where maybe that's where the joy came from so hmm. that probably puts does does sound like kristen Wigg target lady it does sound like that she didn't have quite the joie de vivre target itself <laughs> Yay! it was more about <laughs> just the, the customers themselves um i feel like kristen Wigg sort of frightened her customers a little bit probably people were taken aback by her
1: i guess that was the shtick yeah yeah
0: so this woman was none of that all all positive so good stuff. I recommend it. If I ever see her again, like if I'm at that Target, I will absolutely get in her line.
1: Well, if I'm ever in DC, forget Ben's chili bowl. Right. We're going to the Target. We're going to the Target. <laughs> yeah, they're not that far apart. <laughs>
0: so on this show, it's a pretty slow off season, but we are going to. There's one piece of newsier item I think, which was the Federer schedule, which dropped on like Federer golden letterhead. It was very Federer. Um, so we can discuss that because it had some interesting interesting choices that Roger made and then we will do some gifty stuff for you guys in our random style which I think people like so we can do that I think people are talking about right I hope so yeah yeah of course ready to go Courtney always all right let's start with Roger Federer Roger Federer who has played I guess he played IPTL a little bit played he lost everything in IPTL IPTL ended Courtney do you know who won I'm not sure. Um, we discussed this before he came on. Like, I'm not sure which team won. A, te-
1: a team I won. Okay. IPTL is over. Uh, I do not know anything past that. Okay,
0: Well, it's over. Congratulations to the winners. Better luck next time to the losers.
1: It looked fun. There were some good gifts. Stan Wawrinka and Nick Kyrgios apparently said that everything's cool with them. Which I don't necessarily believe, yeah. but okay, I- that's what they said. Nick
0: Kyrgios said that. Stan did not say that. So... I'm going to wait because Stan was the one who was holding on to that in the first place. So I'm, exactly, I'm going to wait for it? Stan's verdict to 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 stand down on that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I I question the sourcing on uh on that quote.
0: But otherwise, so that's about it. So now we can fully look forward. There's no more Exos of note really before I guess Abu Dhabi is an Exo uh week between Christmas and New Year's, but we do not need to care about that, but we will talk about This Federer schedule. Okay, so here is the Federer schedule on the aforementioned gold background. I don't know. It just looks like this fancy thing you would get in the mail. Um, Tournament schedule for Roger Federer. Brisbane, Australian Open. That was all expected. We knew about that before. Then Rotterdam, Dubai. So two 500s. Then Indian Wells. Then skipping all the way to Roland Garros. Then Stuttgart, Halle, and Wimbledon. Three grass tournaments uh toronto rio olympics cincinnati u.s open it's a pretty full hard court season and then shanghai basel paris and we would assume london world tour finals uh, assuming he finishes top eight but he's you know too modest to put that on there already even though he's made it for what like 15 straight years at this point so obviously the big talking point out of this is roger pretty much all but skipping the clay playing only one clay event which is the french open and Thereby, I think probably throwing away his chances of contending on clay. Courtney you think this is a good move for Roger this stage of his career? Turning turning thirty five next year, I believe.
1: For sure, in us, you know, you know for the same kind of reasons that I think a few episodes ago, uh, we were talking about how it may behoove Serena Williams to opt out of the WTA top ten player bonus pool mm-hmm. to give herself uh, complete and utter freedom over her schedule um, to go for the records that she cares about. Right. Which is, you know, peaking at the majors, not having to worry about playing premier mandatories, things like that. Not you know, uh, it, you know, Serena ended up not doing that. Interestingly, Venus Williams did. Hmm. Venus has opted out of the top 10 WTA uh, bonus pool like rules. So she has complete and utter free reign over her schedule, even though she ended up finishing inside the top 10. So that's kind of interesting. But Roger effectively has done the same within the ATP. You don't have to opt in or opt out. You just it's a different set of rules. You can kind of basically. You know, if you hit certain milestones, you can skip all the, you know, as many mandatories as you want, which Roger has clearly done.
0: Yeah, he's, he's only playing five out of the nine Masters, which is a pretty low number.
1: But the thing that surprised me was that, that he's in to, uh, Toronto.
0: Yeah, I bet that will drop.
1: That was, yeah, that, that was pretty surprising to me. I would have thought he would play like Rome and the French Open and not play Toronto if he was going to play like five of the nine or whatever. That seems to me a more reasonable schedule. But otherwise, it makes sense. I mean, at this point, you know, he's going to get huge appearance fees outside of the Masters events. So it makes sense to to go and kind of pick up a bunch of stuff there, especially at tournaments he likes playing. So it's not surprising the non-Masters that he's decided to, to enter at all. Um, they're all Masters events or not Masters. Uh, I'm sorry, ATP 500s that have money and uh, can kind of afford to lure Roger Federer. Uh, to the tournaments but why the heck not it's a season that's incredibly impacted by the olympics you know the the years are ticking um if i'm roger fetter i'm gunning for wimbledon i'm gunning for you know gold medal at the rio olympics yeah. That that's what i'm gunning for
0: no for sure and i think there is that one week between toronto and rio so maybe he's planning on if he has a good rio he'll pull out of cincinnati but doesn't want to do that just yet because it is his best masters tournament by some distance, he's won it seven that's times. That's a good point. Uh, so maybe that's what he'll wind up doing, is leave a little flex in there. But yeah, I think the the pulling out of the clay is is a throwback move that we've talked about before in past editions of the show. I mean, it used to be in the olden days of like the even like the 80s and 90s that people routinely skipped slams that they didn't think were going to be optimal to them. I mean, even as late as, like, come back Lindsay Davenport didn't play on clay. Pretty much at all. Because she knew it wasn't her best surface, and why not train up for grass? You know, Martina Navratilova did this. She skipped clay to focus on grass. When Lendl, even though Lendl was better on clay, but he wanted to win that one Wimbledon, he skipped clay to focus on grass. Federer, clay is his weakest surface. And obviously he's great at it. He made the Rome final this year. He's made the final of, of Monte Carlo uh, two years ago. So he's knocking on the door of those two Masters he hasn't won yet. But why not just stack the odds a little bit in your favor and rest up when, when other people will be killing themselves on the clay? It seems... I I think maybe he's only has the French on there. Maybe he has some sponsor commitments. He has to show up at slams because obviously big exposure for his brands or, or maybe he wants to keep alive. His streak of having played in like 50 some odd consecutive slams, which I think is the longest active streak going for by anybody right now. But, but for him, yeah, I think this is him essentially throwing in the towel on, on the clay. I'm kind of surprised he didn't play Miami because if he's not going to play all the clay, why not take that one more hardcore opportunity? two months off afterwards, but overall, I think it's good. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wound up pulling out of the French later on. And I think it's, I think it's smart.
1: Yeah. And and it's hard not to shake the idea. And this is like, you know, the, the other side of, you know, the sport that people don't talk about as much, but just in terms of branding and uh getting yourself into a position where, where, you know, he can kind of leverage his, um his brand of RF of Roger Federer. I mean, why dilute it? Right. So so why just play needless tournaments if it doesn't really benefit you, if you don't see the benefit. And right. for, you know, for example, I mean, with Miami, that's an IMG owned tournament. Roger Federer used to be with IMG. Obviously, Tony Godsick was there and they split off and yeah. now formed team eight. I could see on some level there's a part of him that's like, why would I?
0: And as soon as he and as soon as they formed Team teammate, that's when he started skipping Miami the first time. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You know. So the, the there's a, that aspect of it. You also, you know, the, the, the one that always surprises me consistently is Monte Carlo because it's a Rolex tournament, mm. right? Which is one of his major sponsors. So it always kind of surprises me that he's kind of able to just skip that no big deal. Yeah. Like, it seems like that would be one that he would show up at. Yeah. Mercedes-Benz, Stuttgart, you know, like you can kind of follow it around, right. you know? Um, in the same way that Maria Sharapova is a Stuttgart stalwart now these days, uh, <laughs> Stuttgart stalwart. That's good. That's nice. There you go. Thanks to Porsche. So yeah, I mean, it, it, there there's that aspect of it too. Of just like as he gets older, you know, he will like. I mean, if if he kind of limits the number of, of appearances, he can demand more when he does show up. Where at those tournaments that do provide appearance fees, in which case he's making the same amount of money as he would you know, spreading himself out and spreading himself thin. So yeah. it it all just makes, I mean, it just makes tons of sense to me. Like, what's the point in playing on clay? Like, you know, like, I don't think that the, Roger Federer does not like losing. I don't think that he enjoys the challenge of clay. Um, you know, he's just like, man, that, that seems like a pain in the ass. I'm not doing that yeah. anymore.
0: No, the thing is, it, it definitely is tough. Like I said before, he not that he's a bad clay quarter at all. I mean, like, Roger Federer's weakest surface is used with, like, quotation fingers compared to what, like, Sampras did on clay, or what Lindsay Davenport was doing on clay later in her career. I mean, these are Federer. Like I said, was in the Rome final this past year, went did a pretty good French Open, made quarters, lost to eventual champion Stan, got killed by Stan. But I mean, he's been a, he's been knocking on the door, getting to the semifinals or so of the French quite often uh, in his career. I think this is the right move for all the aforementioned reasons about maximizing potential, and I would like to see more players consider it. I, like the one you mentioned earlier in scheduling, Courtney. Venus Williams, there's no reason Venus should be playing clay this year.
1: Yeah.
0: So long as her Olympic ranking looks safe, she's not under fire from being in the American top four. uh, Why not take the clay season off, which is a lot of long matches she doesn't need. Maximize her Wimbledon time, maybe do some doubles training because doubles obviously will be probably is, is definitely her best shot of winning a gold medal. Uh, maybe she could do something absolutely crazy, like go to the French Open just to play mixed with a Brian brother or something. That'd be kind of baller if she did that. And and just tr- use it that way, because bottom line is, as much as Venus, Venus is, I think, a little bit more prideful about her believing in herself than Roger is at some point. Or And I don't think she didn't, quote unquote, admit weakness on clay as much. I remember her saying that at Wimbledon this year, that Wimbledon wasn't more important to her because or because it was the one she she had the best chance she thought she liked her chances everywhere that's not realistic as much as it's admirable uh so i'd like to see her consider doing the same thing skipping the clay training up resting up being healthy saving energy all that stuff Uh, i don't think it can hurt her in any way shape or form rafa same thing if rafa's feeling we've seen rafa do this a little bit but if he's feeling not great on the hard courts or his knees are bothering him or whatever you know skip uh I don't know, the spring hardcourt season or something and get ready for the clay. Skip Miami and maybe even Indian Wells, even though he likes Indian Wells. These are moves that I think people can do. And I think Roger's sort of showing his leverage and his power by declaring his schedule independent of what the rules are, leaving the Madrid tournament just a tweet like a sad face emoji in response, <laughs> which I thought was adorable and aw. And that's what people should do. And people should, you know, respond to that. And I also think more players should do this, like, 2016 schedule drop it's a really cool thing to see it all laid out and then he has like a plan i would love to see someone like wozniacki do this and have the presence to be like i'm not just scheduling by the seat of my pants when a phone when the phone rings and a check comes in yeah i'd like to see more players have this sort of uh long-range planning feel to their their tennis so i think roger did well here on a lot of fronts
1: no for sure and i think that he will you know after seeing you know tennis is a very conservative sport in its decision making. Like people just do what everybody has done before. there There isn't really a ton of risk tanking. Um, in that way. I think that you know kind of Roger being. The role model. Across both tours. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know does help that. I, I think that going forward. There will be a little bit more of an eye. To, to be aggressive with scheduling. Now in terms of like. Dis- making confident decisions. I suppose and, and drastic decisions. That being said. I mean you know. Roger is also a guy who has made millions and millions of dollars. He, he's not yeah. worried about cash. He's, you know, at this point, basically the way that he's he's set up his schedule for next year is basically an acknowledgement of, I guess, you know, legacy-wise, it doesn't really matter if I make a bunch of quarterfinals and semifinals and finals of Masters or even if that I win Masters. The only thing that matters for me right now is probably gold medal and and winning a major. That's it. Yeah. And so he's geared his entire schedule that way. You know, that's why again, that's why I thought I think Serena should do it. You know, it, because yeah, it doesn't matter how many times you win Miami. I'm sorry. You know, at this point in her career, um it doesn't bolster her already incredible uh CV. All it means is that you change, you know, a digit and add one.
0: I think you've seen Serena doing that a little bit. I mean, Serena stopped coming to Charleston. She did. She yeah.
1: But there but there's still it, it it's not as aggressive. And especially when you consider like last year there was a lot of showing up at tournaments and then pulling out with injuries and stuff right or showing up and being sick or, or things like that and you just kind of were like maybe just like commit to a really you know minimal schedule and you know wild cards will always be al- be available for serena williams yep and she can always grab those and federer and federer exactly yep. um because you know like like Sharapova's always been pretty limited in her in her schedule it she doesn't overplay in at in the slightest yeah so so you know i mean i obviously that doesn't it's not great for the tours when that happens but i understand and for especially the the players who have already established themselves as like legends like your legacy is only going to be bolstered by more major wins it's not going to be bolstered by no but he won 26 uh masters 1000 he got eight cincinnatis like that's that hits something. his yeah. his ninth straight masters 1000 semifinal it's like i don't know i mean you know like those are stats that kind of matter when you're coming up but once you're super established all that matters is the big one exactly
0: speaking of the big one one thing we've we've noticed from you guys when you're giving feedback to us on the show whether it's on our kickstarter or in our feedback survey we did a few months ago people really really like take a number
1: which is so weird because we kind of don't You know what I mean? Like, like it's, We don't relish
0: it, I would say. I don't hate it.
1: No, I don't hate it. But there's just kind of like an awkwardness of I feel really bad when I don't have anything to add. But apparently my complete and utter ignorance is very amusing to the rest of you. So, hey, works for me. If if my stupidity can bring some laughs and enjoyment for others, because it clearly doesn't bring enjoyment to myself, um, happy to do it. Happy to revel in it.
0: So for our sort of holiday gift to you guys, we're going to be hitting random.org pretty hard in this episode. If you're those of you who haven't heard, t- take a number. I don't even know what the last, I think the last time we did, it might have been episode 100. Yeah. That was, e- that was even rigged because we just chose number 100 on purpose. If we've done it since then, I don't remember. But anyway, we're going to pick a number between 1 and 100, and we'll talk about the player who corresponds to that number in the rankings of the ATP and WTA, top 100. We did this on episode 1. This is like our one original feature, so it always feels very full circle.
1: It was a great idea from Ben.
0: Do you remember who we got the first time we ever did it? I remember. I don't. We got Carla, Suarez as as Navarro, and Yvonne Dodig, who were the same ranking back then. I don't remember what number it was, but it was they were the same, which is kinda of weird to think. That's they've weird. gone in different directions now. Yeah. Okay, so here we go, round one of take a number for this episode. Hit it. do da do. Twenty-five.
1: Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. Pretty good.
0: That's pretty good. We can't complain about that. Nope. Okay. So Courtney, you will look up the girls for us and i'll check out the guys of course okay i have one
1: i do too interestingly <laughs> okay.
0: enough okay mine's not mine's not all that interesting but I, I'll, I'll say mine first uh mine is a player it came pretty much out of nowhere in 2014 had a very solid year, won a bunch of smaller titles, left up the rankings, much to the delight of those who enjoy Spanish depth, and much to the displeasure of Ernest Golbus.
1: <laughs> I knew it. I actually, the minute that I, that you said 25, I was like, I think this person might be that, But which yeah. is impressive knowledge for me. But
0: go ahead. The princess is here. It's uh, Roberto Batista Gut, number 25. Courtney, who is Roberto's dance partner here? <sighs> <laughs>
1: Rapper, Periscope artist. Oh boy. Two time major champion. It is the one, the only, no one can judge her but God. Svetlana Kuznetsova. <laughs> I always. I, always imagine... I want them to go to a prom together. <laughs>
0: the. the I, I don't know what the word is for like, I ship you, but only for my amusement term. <laughs>
1: i, I mean, she, ship you ironically
0: i just imagined them like standing together like on the dance floor and her just like dominating conversation and like everyone coming up to talk to her and him just like standing there yeah
1: nice dude
0: and nice dude so we talk about. let's talk about roberto first roberto as i said came out of nowhere the one like prediction i ever made on the show that was any good in a, in a draw preview show is when i predicted batista Agut would beat del potro
1: i do recall that at the aussie
0: Early in the Aussie, he had, had like a good run in Chennai or Auckland or something, I forget. And Del Potro had just won uh, Sydney, but seemed a little like flagging. And it was as we didn't know yet, but that was when the wrist stuff was starting to get serious for Del Po. Batista Agut won that, won that match in five and really carried it on to be just a very steady, if unspectacular player. I mean, he plays uh, a not typical Spanish game, really hits the ball a lot flatter, not a lot of topspin, but just a very solid sort of, uh, imagine a, a Court. This might be completely wrong, but imagine a court child of like Gilles Simon meets like Thomas Burditch, meeting somewhere comfortably in the middle there, between like you know feathery and and just sturdy ground strokes, and he, he's that.
1: He actually reminds me a bit of an Ivan Dodig. Okay. You know, kind of like a medium statured guy, not a big guy at all, pretty speedy mm-hmm. because of that. Um, hits a pretty flat ball.
0: Very flat. Yeah. You know,
1: pretty good on defense, can improvise well, but like a Spanish Ivan Dodig. So doesn't come hit, forward. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't come forward a lot. Doesn't like hit flat enough, right? Like like that like, like the indoor Croatian game. So you know can't struggle being purely offensive. So he's kind of stuck in between being like a Dodig and a Ferrer, but a solid a solid tennis player who's making a very good career for himself. Um, and somebody who yeah, I would say in 2013 was not exactly highlighting that guy's name in draws.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I He hadn't been anybody before, just a typical three-namer, as Brad Gilbert calls him, just one of these sort of the, part of the armada of just the numbers that Spanish tennis uh, continues to bring in these draws, or at least maybe it's fading a bit now. The Spanish tennis score is definitely aging. But he was in there, and as somebody who I didn't make a big splash in terms of becoming like a fan favorite or like a big personality on tour at all, didn't get a whole lot of media coverage. I talked to him once or twice, I think, particularly when he, his beef was go- with Golbus was more sort of going give, it was it was give funny- people
1: some <laughs> background on the golby beef so the i princess, think the, ver- the princess and the latvian prince if and
0: you were the first time that it happened i think they were playing in st petersburg i want to say st petersburg and moscow i think st petersburg and golbis won relatively easily Bertisa gut was complaining about Golbitz, like, squeaking his shoes, like Ivanovich against Santukova, uh, before the points. And so he complained about it once, and then Golbis started doing it just to... Uh, like, intentionally, just, just, it was intentionally amazing. Intentionally, just to annoy him. He got the and sportsman, like, warning. He was like, what did I do? Yeah, but he obviously knew. And then afterwards, uh, he was doing an encore interview with Anastasia Miskina, randomly enough, was the interviewer for this, I remember. It was in Russian, but subtitled version of it's great.
1: Drama he, always follows Nasty Miskina.
0: He was... <laughs> he was saying uh you know oh i'll the whatever he's a spoiled princess and this is a man's sport and you know he shouldn he can suck it up because he lost and and it turned into like a pretty good rivalry after that they played at a couple matches that were very competitive they played one really good one at indian wells uh the year after that i think or in 2014 when he was coming up and gold was having his really good run also and then later on i think Batista Good finally did get the better of him when Gulbis was uh, starting to slip in the second half of 2014 and had some injury problems. But it was some it was the most random pairing of like obscure but notable bad blood. I mean, like that was sort of like a hipster, hipster feud. And it was something you get excited for in draws. But yeah, but Batista Good uh is doing better than Gulbis right now. I'm not sure he is and I'm not sure if he would prefer to have Gulbus's outsides charisma and popularity in exchange for his solid results. But he's also probably like what, like 80 spots ahead of gold on the rankings right now.
1: There is. That. I think
0: you, I think he's probably okay with it.
1: I think he is very okay with it. Yeah. is my guess. Yeah. I would assume so. Yeah, for sure.
0: And and he's not a super outgoing guy. So the thing is like, we talked about, I think I mentioned before in the show when like David Ferrer is like number seven in all time prize money without being a transcendent superstar on any level. And Burditch is also top 10. I mean, I'm guessing Batista Gut with his makeup is very happy with being a guy who is somebody who just makes a living playing tennis and gets to travel the world and play in front of the big stadiums, even if no one's there to see him, per se. Um, it's it's not a bad life to be a, 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 more or less a draw filler, which I realize is a disrespectful term, but, you know, that's kind of what he is.
1: Like, he's a professional tennis player. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a pro. That's, that's, uh, that's how he do and, and he's a very nice guy. He's very quiet. Um yeah. doesn't talk a ton. But uh but is yeah, like I said, he's he's building a a very solid career for himself. One that barring any significant injury. I mean, he should be a top forty player, uh, in my opinion, forty to fifty, um, for the for his career. Yeah. Which is a make some money, retire in a good spot, professional tennis player.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is that. Dream of any. So he that he's he seems like a lot more of a runs fairly fairly steady not too hot and cold unlike his dance partner Svetlana Kuznetsova which who the hell knows with this girl Uh, like Svetlana Kuznetsova could win the 2016 French Open
1: could happen easily could happen
0: and she easily could could lose first round to like Zanevska
1: assuming that you did not make that name up and that is a real player. I even if
0: even if I had made that <laughs> name, off. she could have No, is a real Marina. Yes, Sinefska. I know. Yeah, I know. But yeah.
1: but yes. Yeah, Svetlana Kuznetsova. What isn't there to say about Svetlana Kuznetsova? A total fan favorite, just because. I mean, well, this is a good question. Where exactly does her cult status come from? Is it that she is just an incredibly talented athlete who happened to choose tennis? Like to me, she's one of like the top three. Athletes on the WTA tour.
0: Oh yeah, and she's one of those Russians you hear about, like where her parents were cyclists and things like that. Which all the exactly that used to be the main it used to be like a kind of a common trope with the Russian or Eastern European athletes. It seemed like more in particular when they were doing the coverage of them in the U.S. Be like, oh well, they're she's this ex-pedigree, so of course she's a great great
1: athlete, right? Yeah. Like Petrova, exactly came from uh, medalists and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so you know, so so some of it is kind of this whole almost prodigious talent. Who can't seem to get all the pieces in line in a consistent way to be the dominant play, Not dominant, but, you know, a top, the consistent top five player that she should be. Because she has all the shots. She just doesn't really know how to use them. Not always. Not always and stuff like that. But two-time major champion. So what are you going to do, right? 2004 um, uh, U.S. Open. Last teenager to win a major, right? Was Feta?
0: I believe so. 19 years old when she won the U.S. Open, yeah. That's
1: right. So cuz um, On-
0: Ivanovich was 20 when she Yeah, was she
1: was 20. Okay, yeah, yeah, she had just turned 20. So so yeah, Kuznetsova um in 2004 and then what 2009
0: French Open French she, Open. Yeah, she beat Serena in the quarters and then made it through a little bit of a broken draw We're not broken per se, but she beat Stosur in the semis. There was Stosur her Stoser's breakout tournament uh, which is like seeded 30th and then uh she beat a very choky Denara Safina in the final. It was one of the i mean Svet- toughest Lama,
1: final watches it's just
0: it's just a terrible match it's- and denaro and was awful <laughs> not sure although sveta
1: has been part of two really terrible finals
0: that's the thing and that's the thing with sveta is that she won I, I repeat this she did beat serena on her way to winning the french although serena at the french during that stretch of time was not a force we reckoned with like she is now at the french or then at any other slam it really was clearly her weakest for quite a while there
1: yeah a year uh, later she lost to stozer
0: yeah, exactly. So all that being said, Sveta did win these two slams in very, like, broken situations. Her U.S. Open win was pretty fluky. I mean, like, in the sen- not in the sense that she didn't deserve it, but in the sense that it was a bit a bit of, a, like, a, a Bartoli-like situation, that she was somebody people had heard of. She was getting a little bit of hipster hype. She was ranked, like, ninth. She'd been partnered with Martina Navratilova in doubles that year, which I remember being, like, seen as a blessing. Like, oh, she's got the Navs, like, so, so she must have got something good. And uh, And she was made it through a draw where she beat I want to say I'm just doing this off the top of my head but I think she beat Petrova in the quarters and then she beat like an injured Davenport in the semis I know that and then she beat a very very nervous Choky Dementieva in the final and it wasn't wasn't a, none of those were great matches but she she won and people thought it might launch her into being a, sort of a long-term rival with uh Sharapova but she hasn't had anywhere near that sort of consistency and and Kuznetsova, I think, is somebody who really is a great example. If you're like introducing somebody to tennis and want to show that it might be more mental than physical, Kuznetsova is such a great case study because she has all the physical gifts. She hasn't been like riddled with injury constantly enough that you can really say her ups and downs are mostly physical. It's all about just if the needle can ever find the grooves on the record or if it just scratches into something horrible.
1: Yeah, that's, I, a, that's a great analogy.
0: Yeah. yeah, and when it does, yeah. it can be a pretty awesome record. You just don't get to hear it that much because it's a, it's a, it's a record player in an earthquake
1: yeah so. no it, it's pretty rough and you know that that 2004 season that was like what the season of the russians mm-hmm. right hennon hennon won the australian open mesquina goes and wins the french then sharapova 17 years old wins wimbledon and then kuznetsova cleans it up as a 19 year old at the u.s open totally crazy thought that we were going to see this russian insurgency after that we really kind of didn't because yeah, those um, were the
0: first three Russian wins ever at Slams, and they all came in one year, which
1: is Yeah, exactly. And the next one wouldn't come until Maria won the U.S. Open in 2006. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, and it, it has always been. Like, that generation was supposed to be Maria and Sveta, as you said. But, yeah, I mean, her cult status, I mean, it comes with, obviously, the talent and all these sorts of things. It comes with also just I – mean, hey, I mean, when she plays well, it's just – it really is one of those things where you're like, why don't you win more? Like, you're so good. You can hit shots that no one else can hit.
0: And she she's a scary opponent. Like when when Serena played her at the French Open in 2013, when the first time Serena had won it in a, quite a few years, in the quarters. I mean, Sveta was playing well and had Serena on the ropes. Yeah. I mean, Sveta is one of the few players who, at her especially on clay, but really on any surface, at her best, can she's up hang there. with the best at their best. Yeah. It's just the peaks and valleys are so extreme with her. Like no other player really. I don't think there's anybody who has such highs but also such lows so consistently. Kvitova? As, as Kvitova, I think Sveta's worth is much worse than Kvitova's worth. I really do. Okay. I mean, rankings-wise, yes, because... Well, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Sveta Petra's f-
1: kind of a constant top tenner.
0: Pretty much, more or less, to say, totally top ten since she broke through. Kvitova, uh, yeah. Kvitova can't find any stable sort of real estate there. And it's it's tough. We talk about her popularity. I think it comes more... I don't think she's... She's not somebody who like, fills stadiums, per se, or even... No, I
1: mean, stadiums, she's, she's... I mean, if you're an NCR listener...
0: She, she, she's like well well liked by hardcore tennis fans yeah, who like yeah. the fun side of it people who like her weird knockoff clothing brand you know her like the knockoff <laughs> Kyo'dan. um with which is clearly clearly violating so many copyrights um who like they also like really Kyo'dan loves feta they make her all this like off court clothing with like pictures of her dog's face on it yeah i don't know if you ever seen her wearing this around tournaments
1: i have yeah
0: <laughs> it's it's adorable. It's so, it's so like booth of the mall t shirty that she wears. He's yeah. like, it, it's great. I so and she's just and you had her on your podcast pretty recently. I guess she was in Wuhan yeah, or I'm not sure. Wuhan, uh, Zhuhai. Zhuhai, yeah. And uh, and you just see what a loose cannon she is. Like she was just talking randomly and started bad mouthing Andre Rublev's hype. And
1: it was, yeah, that's
0: Feta uh, has few fucks to give because she she doesn't unlike Sharapova who has all these corporate interests and makes a lot more money and is a lot more popular and gets a lot more upside. Sveta doesn't have any of that. And I'm sure she would take a lot of the money for sure, but she gets the freedom to come with it. And it's a little bit of a goldless to mention him on the women's side. I mean, she's somebody who will speak her mind because why not? You know,
1: why not? It doesn't cost her anything. You know, she's kind of your stereotypical Russian player insofar as, so long as she keeps kind of Mother Russia happy, plays Fed Cup, you know, respectable Olympic results, you know, things like that. Like do it, <clears throat> does what she can for the Federation. Everything else is kind of gravy. She is a player who we were just talking about, Roberto Batista Gu as being a, a professional tennis player on the men's tour. She is also very much a pro, right? Like at this point, she's kind of going around. She's doing well at, at, at the times. She's not winning really anything but um she's making a living playing you to, tennis.
0: You get the sense she's having a lot of fun doing it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean that was my sense when I spoke to her in Juhai, that, that she's just kinda like a veteran that's over it. Like she like she's just like, look, it is what it is. I play. I play because I enjoy it i i played my best tennis when i'm relaxed when i kind of just don't care you know that sort of thing she said that though and then the flip side one of the funny things that she did tell me this is all on a a wta insider podcast that i had with her but she did say that because mosquina was had been traveling with her in juhai and so she had said yeah it's actually really really great because i have it puts pressure on me to actually like play because like Anastasia Meskina has like bailed on her like kids to yeah. come with me all the way to China like I can't like half-ass it I actually have to like try and, and I it gotta... was like a, a nice like kind of insight into Sveta knowing that there are times where she, like she knows that there are times where she does half-ass it
0: yeah that's that's pretty revealing because I think it really does show that that Sveta probably with her talent and everything is probably almost certainly an underachiever I mean, she could have won a lot more for than sure. two slams with her talent. She should should have been able to stay a relevant player in the rankings for much longer than she has. And, yeah, you do get the sense that she is somebody who, if you go to, like, an Indian well, say, and she loses in the first round on an outer court to, I don't know, Johanna Larson, you're like, no, yeah, that's about right. I mean, because you just don't know when she's going to be a mental no-show. And that, I think, is a knock on her. And and I think for a multi-slam champ, she does have more obvious flaws as, as a sort of competitor, as a, as a pro, quote-unquote, than your average player may or may not. And that's why I think she's an interesting sort of Hall of Fame case if she's a lock, because obviously she did win the two slams, but they were, as we said before, a little not the most impressive slams ever, and the lows have been so low. So she's an interesting one, because she brings a lot in both columns.
1: Yeah, I mean, put it this way. Svetlana Kuznetsova, two-time major champion, career-high number two. Petra Kovitova, two-time major champion, career high number two and you would probably think just like right now maybe it's unfair obviously because Sveta has more years under her so she's had more years to disappoint us yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways but you would have to say that Kavitova probably has the stronger case oh yeah right about now right so I think that what's frustrating one more note that I'll add about Sveta is that again with this whole Kuznetsova-Kvitova comparison the thing about Kavitova is you understand why she loses matches or sometimes can't like, you know, get past the first round because her game style is one where if she's off, she's just not going to hit the ball on the court.
0: High risk, high reward, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, it's just not going to happen. So you get it, and you're just kind of bummed that, like, she didn't play well that day, and she's out of the tournament. With Sveta, she plays with such incredible amount of topspin, is able to kind of move the ball around the court. She's so um, athletic. So athletic, such a great defender, that's why it's so disappointing. Because you're like, you have the, the tools that, like, There's no reason why Sveta shouldn't have been able to do what Caroline Wozniacki did. Yeah. Right? Like, great defender, but just she's not as good of a competitor, I guess. She's a little bit more of a mental, uh, you know, kind of comes into to to, to focus and out.
0: The two of them had very pivotal sort of marquee matches in Wozniacki's career when the two matches they had at the U.S. Open. I think Sveta was like both times up like 4-1 in the third and Wozniacki just sort of willed her way to win. And those are the matches. Just more often than not, you see Sveta, Sveta losing, which is tough. Yeah, it's
1: it's a lot of blown leads.
0: Yeah, which which is too bad. I mean, I, we're dumping on her a little bit here. Obviously, she's an incredibly popular player in the locker. I mean, she's somebody who's like really friendly with like Serena and you know Stosur. She plays doubles with a lot and and Skiafoni and all these other people. She's just
1: she's clearly, a popular lady. She's a
0: very popular person. Miscongeniality. You just think that some of that has come because of a, maybe a little bit of a lack of maybe, compared to Sher-Pov again, a little bit of lack of. Of bite. Tunnel vision and and bite, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have that, so, uh, but she's a cool person. I think she- I don't think she'll leave. I hope she doesn't leave her career with many regrets. All that said, obviously she's won a lot more than almost everybody. Aren't many multi slam champs in the rankings? So overall, pretty friggin' impressive lady. For sure. And Her dog is pretty cool too.
1: Oh, her dog. I love her dog. Uh,
0: you wanna do another number? Sure. All right, let's give people more of what they want. Hit the number generator again. Do to do this time we get. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we got number one,
1: <laughs> which we've gotten
0: once before on the show. I, I, I don't know if I w- almost want to do this in like full like we did last time because it was a big thing. And they're the same two people we did we did last time. Still exactly. sort of gonna go back. Should uh, we
1: save the number one?
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll do – okay, here's the deal, guys. We'll give you a rain check. We'll do the number one take number again at some point in 2016. Maybe when it's a different person. I don't think – I don't that it will be. But But
1: even because it's frustrating because even like we just talked about Serena and Novak last episode about kind of their – or was it last episode or two episodes ago about what their prospects are for 2016 and what would be a successful season and all that. So we've kind of previewed them. We
0: just did a whole Serena Sportsman episode. I mean I I think that yeah, this is not the time to do it. We've been talking about them so much this fall that – well, we will go back to do another – we'll do another like top five at least. But then – point yes Courtney
1: but Ben are you okay with like not talking about Serena because it's only going to land you on more Serena haters lists
0: <laughs> I saw that making the rounds today <laughs> I saw the person who was making it before it's the most haphazard list it's like me and Tarpashev and like the LA Times is <laughs> the Serena haters hall of fame I was like vice president or something I have a pretty high rank in it which I'm pretty proud of
1: That's pretty good that's impressive I mean, this will, this might, this decision to not talk about Serena may just elevate you to like, I don't know, like, like general. It's true. Like some sort of military arm.
0: But maybe I've been talking about her too much because it was talking about her in the context of you know having a body that got me in so much trouble in the first place. Which See,
1: this is, but this is the thing for you yeah. that you just like everybody else on the WTA tour, you can't win when it comes to Serena.
0: Can't win. I'm hitting the number so... generator again. <laughs> Here we go. Doo-doo-doo. Okay, this is... It's being nice to us. Number eight. Wow. This thing is in the Christmas sphere. This is the target cashier of random numbers. Because normally we're in the 80s. <laughs> normally we're getting, like, people We like, oh, gosh, who is this person? Yeah, normally we're getting people along the lines of, like, you know, Marchenko. But today, today, number eight. Okay. Okay. I know who this person is. Great. Courtney, who's we got... We're going to do ladies first this time. Who we got number eight on WTA.
1: Well, the thing is, is that I feel a little bad about spending all this time to get people informed and interested in our current number eight on the WTA side, because we're not going to see her very much next year. Okay. Yeah. Because yes. it's Flavia Panetta, US Open champion, recent retiree. Um, her paperwork with uh, AARP is in the mail. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh she'll be on medicare soon but yeah no so it's it's flavia panetta who's had an illustrious career we'll break it down and talk about our favorite flavia memories but who's who's the number eight on the men's side and i have to confess i genuinely don't know
0: it's a guy who's not going anywhere i think he's the youngest in the top 10 which is not saying much of anything because he is 25 years old uh it is kenny shikori special k special k let's let's start with flavia I feel like your a the way you delivered your AARP line, by the way, it was very Warthyme. I-, I enjoyed. that. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was in a good one. I do, <laughs> I do like- have that tendency. I don't know if people have actually ever noticed this, but I noticed this about myself, and it's very difficult for me to, like, stop myself from doing it. But I'm a bit of a mimic. Yeah. And if I talk to somebody long enough, or I'm around somebody long enough, I end up mimicking their speech style. I can't help it.
0: You could do a lot worse than mimicking John Warthyme for sure. Well,
1: this is very true, but like I have. I've told you this before that I have a very weird accent and it's just this amalgamation of all these like families or friends that I've been around growing up, like Boston accents, Chicago accents, like Southern accents, whatever. And it all came together to create this weird thing that comes out of my mouth where I know that I'm pronouncing words totally wrong and I can't help it.
0: People know that. I mean, people, I mean you, you made fun of me instantly on the Wimbledon tour episode when I was with Alex Willis. I'm like, very quickly into it like morphs into my own like ridiculous yeah. wimbledon voice
1: your 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 brit voice where all of a sudden you upspeak for no yeah. apparent reason yeah you know it, it, yeah we i mean everybody kind of does it it's a social tick that is like a acceptance thing i don't know there's a whole sociological reason why people do you know it who but... probably
0: does you know who probably doesn't do it is Fabio panetta because i feel like she's just kind of too cool for that
1: i agree with you i agree Mm -hmm. with you uh flavia panetta she blazes her own trail she marches to the beat of her own drummer she built herself a storied career um being the first italian woman to break into the top 10 back in i think 2009 just an incredibly balanced player didn't necessarily play a typical italian game because she was great on hard courts yeah um and that was really her her best surface and that would come to uh to play out as it did a few months ago when she won the U.S. Open, her first major title, yeah. um, becoming I'm... the oldest woman to win a major, her a maiden major title since Martina Navratilova, I believe.
0: Mm. That I don't know about.
1: I'm pretty maybe. sure. Her first, like, the f- the oldest first time winner.
0: Martina wasn't that old when she won their first.
1: Oh, sorry. Duh, it wouldn't have been Mart- Martina. Uh...
0: Not- Yana Navatna, maybe?
1: Maybe. Was, Let's you, go was with that that sounds okay. more plausible. Sure, yeah, why not? Okay. But uh, but yeah, it was something about being the oldest, something. I mean, it was made in title win. She was getting
0: but... older, and she and she and she was somebody who I think the funny thing about Panetta's win in retrospect is that it was kind of a repeat of Indian Wells from like only two years ago when she came out of nowhere to win that tournament too, and that's enough. That's considered often the fifth slam, so. Looking back at it, it doesn't doesn't feel as random as it was. That's a good point. I mean, like there were. It only felt were...
1: super random because everybody expected Serena to win.
0: There were data points to show that she was leading to this. I mean, she had made semis at the U.S. Open before, right?
1: Yes. You no, know, it was her yeah. best major. Yeah. She had made semis. I a lot of quarters. The, a a lot, lot of quarters. Of um. So it was all there. It's just that there were no signs that she was going to do it this year. None. None. She had. I mean, if you take the U.S. Open, those two weeks out of it. Flavia Panetta had a crap year. She really did. And there's no way around that. But um but hey, she she broke through, she got it, you know, she's in a completely happy place in her life and decides to pull the ripcord and announced to everyone that this is her last uh, uh US Open, I guess was technically her announcement. Um, and that has now since been, you know, it's my last season, et cetera, et cetera. But um but the thing that I will remember, like just talking Flavia memories. Um, there are a few there was obviously the moment in Indian Wells this year or last year
0: when she this, won
1: no two yeah two years ago when she won
0: mm-hmm.
1: when i asked her about fabio mhm yes. and she described him as an introvert <laughs> what? that was special
0: that, and she and um, she and we were both we, looked we on both the, were like, like the, eh? I think it was like me you and maybe one other english speaking reporter in there for this press conference it was like her quarterfinal or fourth round or something it wasn't a full room for her at all and then she like there were a couple of italians in the room and she was like try to confirm the word with them we were like we just don't buy the this this characterization we're of convinced mr fanini at all no
1: yeah but she did she said no he's introverted and we were like no, okay flop. um And then she went on to win the tournament. And then at the time, the funny thing is, at the time when I was asking her about it, I didn't know they were
0: dating. Yeah, that was when they, that seems to be like when they started dating pretty much, was that Indian Wells? That's when they found an oasis of love in the desert. (laughs)
1: I guess but like yeah no I had no idea so I was literally just asking her because I knew that they were friends and that like she would have some insight into Fabio because I was like preparing to write a story about Fabio and then it wasn't until like yeah like whatever the semis or the finals after they won and it was like there's Fabio shirtless in her bed in their selfie I'm like all right. (laughs) (laughs) Are they now now engaged? They are yeah 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 they're getting married so that's pretty cool Um, so that's one Flavia memory. I will also remember, I think I was there in LA when she won LA. Okay. And she beat Stozer in the final.
0: Okay. And that was, that like was at the
1: time, ish. yeah, that was at the time one of her biggest titles. Um, so that was pretty cool. But she was just always like just a badass chick, dude. Like you'd like see her walking around and, and she just had this aura of cool. Like she was just a cool lady. And I say that and she's younger than I am. But like, I was like, you're just, you're just really cool.
0: She had that sort of, um, I almost want to say like Sophia Lorenish Italian sort of, I don't know. Like I've seen the world. You're getting
1: a little, you're getting a little ethno typing.
0: Well, that's fine. I think she would embrace this though because there's this. Actually, she
1: has. Yeah. Because people have asked her this question actually before. I remember it was at the Australian Open or maybe it was at the US Open. Somebody was like, do you think that it's like. Does, does it bore you or does it annoy you to get constantly asked about pasta and pizza yeah. and like whatever and she's like no why pasta is very good <laughs> like, it was like this amazing answer she's just like why would i be tired of it i'm a proud italian yeah, but like, just
0: be, and, and having been in rome spent a week there for each of the last i guess i've been there for three years in a row two anyway i've been in rome quite a bit more now in the tennis context and and she just makes sense in that environment this sort of not really caring what the rules are not really caring how things get done or that things will get done or being fretting about like uh oh this is chaos but has this sort of remarkable chill and and you know walking like the sort of David Caruso walking through the explosion and just being unfazed by everything she never seemed like somebody who was and obviously she did have her she did get in all sorts of dramatic matches and everything uh, like any good WTA player does but she uh, never seemed totally rattled by the, the, the circus of the tour.
1: No, not by the She seemed to be somebody who,
0: who kept her cool in that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, she was definitely a player who, when you talk to especially the Italian journalists, they all said, you know, if Flavia is happy off court, then she plays well on court. Yeah. And so when she had a very public breakup with Carlos Moya, yep. uh things really kind of uh went down the drain and ever since she you know, and then obviously everything with Fabio, I mean she won Indian yeah. Wells and the US Open while with Fabio. So
0: That's good on Fabio. I mean, I remember, yeah, the Moya breakup. I was I was thinking whether not to mention that, but she she pulled out of tournaments after that. Like she was
1: Well, it was devastating yeah. in how, yeah. it how it all played was- out and how she found out and all that yeah. sort of stuff. She apparently like walked in and found out. Um, That's not and, good. Oh, and the other thing about Flavia, doesn't she have an Italian autobiography?
0: Yes, she does. And it talks about her like sex on tennis courts.
1: Exactly. And I just want to Rosetta Stone Italian <laughs> so I can read her book. Because it's not translated anywhere. So if you speak Italian, go get yourself a copy of Flavia's book and w- call me and we will Skype this and turn it into a podcast session where you just read it.
0: I hope that... Her winning the US Open maybe that gives her like enough sense of like yeah we'll publish like five thousand copies of the book in in English some low number some at the US Open gift shop have her do a signing or something that'd be great.
1: It would be lovely. It would be this, a gift. It would be a Christmas miracle.
0: There's been some continued scuttlebutt about her possibly playing Rio. Any yeah, thoughts on that? Yeah, I saw
1: that. Um, I just think you know things ended well for you. Yeah, I agree. Just call it. You're not but, gonna.
0: I mean, met- what? You're not. Gonna you're not gonna meddle. Yeah, this one event out of nowhere. And I understand if you if you want to like walk and be part of the Olympic experience, go be like Fabio's plus one. You can go to Rio without playing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just I just don't I don't you know and and you know let Camilla Georgie have her spot. Yeah. <laughs> On the team. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. So I I don't think that she should play. I I I genuinely think. I mean I think she should have just walked away after the open, but obviously Singapore money is good money. So. You know why the heck not.
0: You were there with her in Singapore. She seemed to be enjoying that. Was that a good?
1: Yeah, she for was. Her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know she she enjoyed it. Um, it was funny because our good friend Ubaldo, Ubaldo Scanagata, mm-hmm. was Past saying, yes, um, that uh, you know he was asking Maria after Maria beat Flavia to send Flavia into retirement. Um, he built into his question to Maria about Flavia that when he spoke to Flavia earlier in the week she had told him that she didn't want her career to end with a loss to nadia Kich- kitchen yeah. okay because that was who she lost to in moscow oh, I or i think Tan- in china
0: somewhere maybe yeah
1: tianjin maybe or somewhere she
0: pulled Anyways, out of moscow midway without losing i
1: think yeah And so she was she was just because it was all this this discussion about how like Flavia was actually really happy to have her last loss and last match be against Maria uh, because she respects her a lot as a champion. And you'd rather be sent off into the sunset by a champ than, you know, shot in the back by some kid that doesn't know how to use a gun, you know,
0: like stabbed in the ankle. It's not even shot in the back. It's it's not good.
1: Yeah. So. uh, So, yeah, I thought that that was really funny because he asked the question to Maria Sharapova and Maria Sharapova was like, who? (laughs) (laughs) And Ubaldo like out, like said the name again and you know Maria was like Alright And then Ubaldo was said something like a, a lower ranked uh, Ukrainian player and like Maria was like
0: Okay Okay <laughs> Maria would be an amazing guest host for take a number. Remember we made, we had Pekovic play it yes, once? Yeah <laughs> we did it with Maria and was like, Okay Maria, uh your player is Laura Sigamund. <laughs> like, <she's> like what? <laughs> yeah that'd be good it'd be amazing i'm into that kenny Shakori. i know Courtney. you you follow cape i can say a lot closer than i have sure um, you i think you've you've I, i'm guessing it being Asian. You've so mentioned long as long as you're guessing and
1: you're not assuming well no because okay. i think you've it talked about
0: this on the show uh, you talked <laughs> about with in, in the Lena context on the show before that like sure. being having asian heritage yourself that seeing her do well meant more to you do you think that's is that fair to transit denise shikori as well
1: for sure i mean i, I think that you know with both Kei Nishikori and Lee Na, just kind of following them and, and just really wanting them to get the same, the coverage that they were entitled to and that they deserved that maybe they weren't getting because of stereotypes or, um you know, a Western reporter would rather talk to a fluent speaking, you know, top 20 player than, you know, spend 15 minutes talking to Kei Nishikori or Lee Na. Like, you right. know what I mean? like
0: Because if you're somebody dropping into tennis for one week, you can feel... Like you're going to get a lot more out of a conversation. With, it's like you're like at the US Open, like, or even Miami is maybe a better example. You feel like you're getting a lot more out of a conversation with Jack Sock than Kanish Corey.
1: Right. And so that I was always very, you know, conscious of that and just wanting to make sure that, 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 you know, the Asian players don't get penalized for being Asian, you know, mm-hmm. uh, within this sport, that that they're seen as an other or that they're, you know, and I think that Kay and, and Lina are just great, you know, um, mm-hmm. If you were to ask for Asian players um, who are going to be, you know, the highest ranked or some of the most successful Asian players uh, in the history of tennis, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find two like better role models.
0: And that's what they both are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, 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 yeah. I mean, I've definitely followed Kay's career. Um, It's been amazing to see what he's done. There's a part of me that still kind of can't believe it. Like, there's a part of me that still is kind of in the mindset of, you know, Project 47 right 47, 47 something like that yeah yeah like the whole idea of just wanting to get him to be the highest ranked japanese player ever which if he was just top 40 would do that so um which he surpassed uh quite quickly but now he's just kind of like a top 10 stalwart which is interesting but i think as people have heard on this podcast uh this year uh, a bit of a disappointing 2015
0: absolutely Absolutely. I mean, he, I, I'm pretty sure Kenny Shikori, I'm willing to bet, was the betting favorite in that U.S. Open final against Chilich. He was, I'm guessing. He Anyway, he was in a great. final. He had final. ramen
1: yeah. before that. So, yes, he was supposed to win. <laughs> he,
0: uh, yeah, he He was the favorite in that. Remember we had, remember, anyway, I was going to go on a sidebar about Panetta and Italian. We did have Italian food after Panetta won the U.S. Open. We of did course. This year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, we do, we do take restaurant inspirations based on. U.S. Open results. It's something you can do in New York. You have those kind of options.
1: Um, Beijing, after yeah. Garbine Muguruza won, uh, I went out to um, a bar with my good friend Pete Chorba, who was on the podcast yeah. before. And we went to one of these in China. They have a lot of these really cool, well, I like them, which are basically bars that are not really bars. They're kind of just liquor stores, but they're like tables and benches inside. So you go and you buy your liquor and you sit there and you just drink it, which I kind of like. And I'm kind of like, why don't we do that? Uh, But anyways, they had Estrella beer, which is a Spanish beer specifically from Barcelona, which is where Carbinia is. And so that's what I drank that night. You know, it happens. This is what we do. Sometimes players win or lose and we're sad about it. And things happen there too, where we specifically drink in homage to certain results. Um, but... Uh, the Bloody
0: Maria is what you're referring
1: the to. The Bloody Maria was, yeah. uh, was a was a tough one a few years ago.
0: Yeah, for oh. sure. So <laughs> I remember, uh, anyway, Nishikori, yeah, he, he made the US Open final. He made the semifinals of the World Tour finals in 2014. He was ending on a real high. And this year, he just, again, the, the problems that have been there before in terms of fragility, in terms of mostly that, in terms of just sort of fading in and out, and not being a reliable juggernaut, which I realize is a huge ask. It's a huge ask for someone in this to become, era, yeah, for someone to become big four level consistent, we take that for granted now what all that goes into that, and how that's a relatively new thing. I mean, like guys who are ranked in the top ten for most of the pre certainly the pre big four era, would have nishikori like results you know they might make a semi of a masters here then lose first round there and be more up and down, so he's del has, Potro. yeah, del Pocho, sure, I mean players like uh. Yeah, I mean, even before that, players like uh, Safin or something, I mean, their p- players have been up and down forever. And so Nishikori's gear was undoubtedly disappointing. Them. I mean, the whole, the whole younger group had a bad 2015. They all, I mean, like him, Ronich, and Dimitrov they're sort of a cohort together, and they just all had disappointing 2015s in a big way. Uh, Nishikori finished the highest ranked of all of them. He did manage to stay in the top 10, um, had a some decent results on clay when I mean, he lost first round at the u.s open after making the final last year i mean he's got room to improve for sure um he didn't make any coaching change it's kind of interesting i would not have been shocked to see him do that this off season uh with a, f- a few number of, of coaches going by the wayside but he's stuck with his team it seems like and uh i'd be interested to see what what he does in australia and and going forward into the clay I and mean, i i think that's he's a player who i want to see have a big first half of the year because otherwise he can kind of fall into being a bit of a rut of a just another top twenty guy, which I which I wouldn't want to see from him.
1: No, I totally agree. I think that Australia is a big one for him. Um, you know, in terms of coaching changes, what did you think was going to change, Michael or Dante?
0: I, Michael, I guess, just because there've been a couple super coaches, quote unquote, who had who had left the ranks this this off season in terms of Lindsay Davenport with Madison Keys and uh, Stefan Edberg had stopped with Federer. I I guess I just. Michael Chang is obviously unbelievably committed. Like Michael Chang is so intense, and so I, I, he's not as much of a, not that I'm calling the other people a quitter, but I can see him being much more stubborn about it and sticking with it. And he has had better results, probably, or more of a notable uptick in his time. But you know, people change coaches pretty quickly in tennis. I wouldn't have been surprised to see it end. I'm not saying that it should have or that they should have ended it, but I wouldn't have been surprised. Is all I'm saying, I guess. Is that fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, totally fair. So, so what do you think the upside is for Kenny Shikori? Going forward, do you see him being somebody who can still be the first guy in this generation to to break through and win a slam?
1: I think so. I think so. I mean, I know that people are are can be you can it's it's easy to kind of get high on round itch at times just because he has the weapons and you figure oh if he gets out over seven matches yeah. uh, he can he can do it that's yeah. fair enough.
0: He's still my pick to be the next first time winner.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I still pick Kay. I, yeah. I think that um, you know, for him to do what he did at the open you know he was he was wiped at the end if he can kind of figure out how to get through those you know get to the quarterfinals without dropping a set you know like that would be very good <laughs> um you know or or just weird performances like at the French that loss to Sanga was the weirdest um just getting absolutely blitzed for 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 two straight sets and then mounting a comeback and then losing it at, at the end it was just a weird match um so you know but but the thing that we're seeing is that to become a who's the last person to break into the top four and become like a consistent. It was Stan Wawrinka yeah. at 30 years old. So theoretically, these kids have a, have a good amount of time to do it. And obviously the era, this golden era will just get weaker over the next few years simply yeah. because at some point Roger will leave. At some point Stan will leave. You know, you're talking about Novak and Andy holding it down Rafa. with Rafa. So, you know, there will be more opportunities but um, but I just I just think that people like watching Kay play tennis. I'm not entirely sure you can say the same about Raonic. Um, so no, you definitely
0: you definitely can say they don't enjoy watching Raonic. Yeah. yeah.
1: So so with Kay, it would just it would be good for the game if he could just kind of get it together. It
0: was huge, and I remember being at the U.S. Open final, uh, the day of the final when he was in the final against Chilich and there were so many japanese media who had like flown in for the occasion or like everybody from every u.s bureau of every japanese outlet was like at flushing meadows and it was like crawling with people doing like live shots at the outside of the stadium and it was very cool i mean like the the nishikori being big in japan to use that phrase is massive for the sport like if nishikori becomes a solid big four player who wins a few slams the world tour finals when they finally get their ass out of london uh, if the it, ass is falling asleep at this point, you got to, you know, walk around a bit to wake it up. If they go to Tokyo, they'll have a huge market there with K. K can be an absolute rock star there. And, and that culture is very ready for it. It's been a tennis-loving country for a long time. It's not like China, where it's new to tennis, per se. They've had tour stops in Tokyo for decades. Him being a winner could be huge uh, economically for the sport, and I hope. And obviously, the ATP can't control whether or not he wins or not, but they they have to know that they, the payout is really good if he does become a big thing.
1: Oh, and I think they know. They definitely know. For sure.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, that's pretty good. Take a number. Yeah, that's so. so two 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 big Two uh, big numbers, people we know. And we can leave it there. We'll save the number one for the last time. We're not going to push the holiday luck and do it one more time and get like the number 99 we're dreading. So we'll quit while we're ahead here with uh, Kani Shikori, Flavi Panetta, Svetlana Kuznetsova, and Roberto Batista Good. Thanks, guys, and happy holidays to all of four of y'all. So we're going to have our second annual NCR Christmas party with our secret Santa game held in it. This is sort of like take a number on steroids where we're going to pick a number between one and 499. And it's going to indicate a gift exchange between players in the top 10 of the tours. Uh, so if it's a number, if the number starts, sorry, a number between 100 and 499, a three digit number, the first number If it's a one, it means it's an ATP to ATP gift. If it's a number two, it's an ATP to WTA gift. If it's a number three, it's a WTA to ATP gift. And if it's number four, it's WTA to WTA gift. This is less complicated than it sounds.
1: Sounds really complicated.
0: It does sound really complicated. So if you're immediately lost, don't worry. We'll walk you through it. We're having our holiday party here with the top 10. Unfortunately, we got a few RSAPs. People said, like, sorry, we can't make it this year. So uh, we we appreciate sending your regrets to David Ferrer and Thomas Burditch. But we got a few subs. We found, you know, sent out a Facebook invite. And Bernie Tomic and uh, Grigor Dimitrov said, yes, they'd be happy to come. So looking forward to having them in the gift circle.
1: They're always ready to party. It's they'll
0: be ready to have some fun. All right. Let's get this uh, Christmas wheel a spinning. All right. So our first number... Between 100 and 499 is 195. So this is an ATP on ATP gift. This is Richard Gasquet giving something to Rafael Nadal. (laughs) What what would Gasquet give to Rafael Nadal, Courtney? What do you What do you think? We'll just give one for each of these.
1: I think that Richard Gasquet would give to Rafael Nadal a sense of urgency. Because we have seen with Richard Gasquet how quickly he can grip a racket. <laughs> he is very keen and aware of the amount of time he has on a changeover to do the things that he needs to do before he has to step back on court and play tennis. And I feel like Rafa could maybe benefit from that. You know, pick, pick up the pace a little bit, Rafa. Um, and I think that Richard Gasquet might be able to spare some of his sense of urgency and kind of manicness and he led it over to his Spanish friend. And, I mean, he can also maybe give them, like, a picture of, like, their, you know, their pre-match photo from that uh, Le Petit Ami match Le from Petit back ah. in the day. Yes. Le Petit Ah, sorry. Awesome. From back in the day. So, whatever. The but, one but... match
0: that Gasquet won when they were, like, 12,
1: right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But that's a right. sense of urgency is where I, is where I go.
0: That's, that's, that's a very good answer. Um, I will say that he'll give him—I'm not exactly sure how you wrap this gift— or not that you could wrap Sense of Urgency that well either, but something about just being a little bit more of a lovable loser or like an underdog or something, something that just makes a, sen- a sense of comfort or complacency. Not that R- R- Gasquet exactly has that per se, but Gasquet, Roland Garros is beloved. The crowd goes nuts for him. Uh, he's a player all around the world who plays with a lot of flair. People love the backhand. People drool over the backhand, and they really like watching him play regardless of result. And I feel like he gets that. And Nadal is sort of an ultimate overdog in his own ways, even with the injuries and stuff. I feel like Nadal feels like a favorite in almost any match he's in, even this year when he's in his depleted form against almost anybody minus Djokovic. Nadal still carries this sort of power and and you know intimidation factor that Gasquet never has. And so I don't know. Is there something about being soft around the edges? Maybe like some sort of I'm trying to think. Maybe like. Uh, Sure. What is it? What is it? What is it that makes it that actually encapsulates that as a gift, like a scarf? I feel Like <laughs> I feel like when you see Gaske. So I'm
1: so uh, so Gaske is giving Rafa a stopwatch. Uh huh. Um, from me. Yeah, and I'm. And he's giving him an ascot. You no, know, it's more.
0: It's more of a scarf. More of a uh, what's it called? like a balaclava kind of scarf? I think. Okay. Uh, that's that just sort of says like I'm here for flair and to entertain and. It, I'm just—it's mostly about just having a nice time and being entertaining, and just don't have to sweat about it and you know, be frenetic. Just calm down, just look nice, and people will be okay with you anyway. You don't need to try so hard, Rafa. Sit down, have a glass of wine with your balaclava and life is nice. I, okay. I, I guess I can maybe, see
1: where you're going. That. That's wrong,
0: yeah. I, 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 my mind is a little scrambled on that. But I hope people have some idea of where I think Gasquet would look at it all and be like, he needs—he needs to chill. Okay. Next round on the gifts, three seventy. Okay, so this is a WTAer number seven on the WTA, who is Venus Williams, uh-huh. giving something to number ten on ATP, who is Joe Wilfried What Would Venus give song?
1: Oh, I got that easy. Oh, go for it. Gosh, this is gonna sound so mean, but a sense of pride. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because every single time that Venus Williams steps on the court, she has such dignity and she's trying to she's trying to prove something and she has a sense of pride there is a just a royal um
0: regal yeah
1: regal high-minded way about which she carries herself and her tennis and um that sense of pride i think is really a big reason why should we find her back inside the top 10 at number seven uh after everything that she's gone through with illness and slumping and retirement questions and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like Sanga could really benefit from that because he's so talented, so talented, but just seems perfectly okay with putting in mediocre results when he feels like it. Yeah, And I feel like that's something that Venus Williams would never do. She doesn't just show up to give a half-assed uh, effort. She's there to win, and she believes that she can, whereas I think with Sanga, he checks out or else he'll have a great result like he did obviously, uh, last year in uh, Toronto. And then he's just like, eh, I'm good. And just kind of zones out for a while. And that's I think, is very disappointing because he's so good. He's so charismatic. Fans love him. When he plays his top-notch tennis, it's so explosive and great and physical. And I love watching him play when he's great, but when he's not playing at his best and when you know that he's just actually not even really not trying because i'm not going to go that far but he's not giving his best effort um it's just really disappointing and very frustrating yeah
0: I, i'll agree with that i'm going to go along a similar lines i say that she will give him like a copy of a scrapbook that she made out of like, one of her wimbledon runs i'm not sure if such a scrapbook exists but let's pretend it does i can see Venus being an avid scrapbooker and, you know, things like the menu from the Wimbledon ball after she won and like the cool photos of her that got taken and maybe a stub from a royalty check she got as a bonus from one of her sponsors for winning a Grand Slam. And all the big things that come with taking that next step and being willing to put yourself out there and put it all on the line. I mean, Venus Venus has won so many matches at big tournaments like saving match point, digging out impossible shots, being a good scrambler, all these things. And these just aren't things I associate with Sangha. You know, I don't associate Sangha with leaving it all on the court. This is similar to your answer, I realize. Um, But Venus, I think, can show him a thing or two about just being willing to sell out, being willing to be like, hey, it's not, you are complacent and you have a very comfortable life and in France you're a star, but what's over the horizon of just trying that little bit harder is so much better than what you have now. And you have squandered a lot of these chances in the past. You're not at the very end of your career yet, dude, just... Give it one more shot. You can get a shot. Songa can still win a slam. Absolutely. He absolutely still can. If Chilich can win a slam, there's no reason Songa can't. He can't he can win the French Open or he he can back to all four of them with his game. Um he can do it. I, I I think that Venus would be somebody who has the power to inspire on that front. And she could do it with a little bit of uh, you know, personal experience with, with the scrapbook, I think would be a way for her to go. She'd be an amazing mentor type. Just a dream person to have in your corner. Venus Williams can't do much better than that.
1: She's seen it all. She's handled herself with class and grace. Um, she's still at it and she's doing it for all the right reasons. The way that, you know, champions compete. What couldn't, I mean, what can't any of us learn from Venus Williams?
0: And I think in that scrapbook, she would also like tuck in a Jamba juice gift certificate just to be not a complete hard ass. Cause you know, she has a few franchises and why she not? does. not? Yeah. 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 All right. Next on the thing is 468. This is a WTA on WTA gift. So, number six on WTA, uh, Petra Kvitova gives this to Flavia Panetta. Ooh. It's so fun. I feel like they would enjoy.
1: I think so. I, I think, think, think this they're would
0: be friends. A amicable pair.
1: Yeah. No, I think the first thing that Petra Kvitova gives Flavia Panetta is an invitation to her wedding.
0: Yes. She just got engaged since she we last recorded. Yes. Congratulations, Petra.
1: Super exciting to her uh, hockey playing boyfriend Radek Mayul. Um, so that's fun. So you know, Flavia's got some free time on her hands. Yeah, I would, I would Im- definitely, definitely. I don't even know Flavia that well, and I would invite her to my non-existent <laughs> wedding. Um, so there's that. Um, and I think that Petra would also give to Flavia. Hmm. You got anything? No, maybe that's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: All right, that's fine. Um, I will say that Petra will give Flavia like some sort of gift certificate to a spa somewhere in Italy that she like Googles Flavia's hometown and looks one up and just buys it and thinks it'd be cool. Because I feel like Petra this year appreciated, learned to appreciate the power of time off and time for just being at, with yourself. When she skipped the American hardcore swing, I think it wound up being a right choice for her. And now that Flavia... I feel like Flavia is somebody who knows how to enjoy herself, knows how to relax. Um, And I see Petra seeing a little bit of a kindred spirit in that. As much as they both are very good competitors and with great work ethics, I think they both also have a way of enjoying life, I would hope. Or I I think Petra recognized that in Flavia. And so maybe... uh, What town is Flavia from? She's from... uh, Um, Not Taranto. That's where
1: No, uh, it starts with an F. Uh... You can like see grease from it apparently. I've asked her about it. Oh she's from Brindisi. Oh Brindisi. Which yeah, oh, yeah, is in the that. heel
0: within the heel of Italy. So she's it from Brindisi. Uh I think Flavia would, uh, Petra would get Flavia like a, a spa spa de, de Brindisi or something. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> and that would be their gift and Flavia would hopefully enjoy it and send her like a selfie of herself getting a massage.
1: Hey, as, as that's how that's how you win uh, WTA Sportswoman of the Year. I think sportsmanship. So.
0: Did, who won that?
1: Petra. Oh, good. Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Good for her. Okay, let's spin the wheel again. One thirty-two. Oh, this would be good. This would be top ATP gift. What then? Does Roger Federer get Andy Murray?
1: Mm. Something really
0: expensive because Roger has a lot of
1: money. For sure. I think that Roger Federer would give Andy Murray. Maybe two thousand of his fans <laughs> on Wimbledon finals day. I think that's what he gets for him. So that for once, Andy Murray, when he plays Roger Federer, doesn't feel like an underdog
0: enough to give Andy Murray like a fifty-one percent exactly, of the crowd. just
1: marginally, just okay. marginally. I'm not asking you know for him to be so magnanimous, but just enough so that it's not awkward for everyone. Okay, it's pretty That's good. That's what I say. Yeah. It's pretty
0: good. I think that Roger would get Andy. He he would pay for and then send to his doorstep, like the most elite Michelin starred nanny service from Switzerland you can find in the world. Ooh, good call. And send it because Roger's done a lot of childcare stuff lately with four kids coming out in the last uh, few years for Roger. With Stan- with Andy about to have his first, I think Roger has a sort of. I see Roger and Mirka having everything just very under control, even like being somewhat near the family behind the scenes in the sport. Everything just seems like you never see a federal kid like screaming and running down the hallway. The things are, they keep it on lockdown in a, in a very nice humane way. They really <laughs> do. They really do. Um, so I, I would say that some someone, and Roger has a lot of help. Roger has like kind of an army behind the scenes with the kids. Um, so I would say that I would say a nanny or two, if, if it's going to be twins, maybe two uh, like he had, Uh, yeah somebody some incredibly skilled Mary Poppins esque unbelievably great nanny for the Murray kid
1: good call very good call
0: all right let's do another number is 125 so this is Andy Murray giving something to Rafael Nadal Nadal's second present it's pretty good what does Murray get Rafa I got it okay what you got
1: I think that Andy Murray gives to Rafa the belief that he can improve and be good on clay.
0: Andy gives that to Rafa? <laughs> yeah. Oh.
1: yeah. <laughs> Andy Murray, obviously, winner of a Masters 1000 on clay.
0: Unlike Rafa.
1: Unlike year, Rafa. Yeah. Uh, also won uh, two titles, two clay titles on clay in Europe. Uh-huh. Didn't he win that other one, That t- that tiny German one?
0: He won uh, Munich and, and Madrid, yeah.
1: Right? Okay, so there's that. Then goes on to make the semifinals at the French Open, taking Novak Djokovic deep to five sets, I believe. Okay, he got bagel, but whatever. Uh-huh. And, you know, these are things that Rafael Nadal can aspire to I think in I... 2016.
0: You know, I, I think I think Andy might really enjoy the trolling nature of this gift
1: because <laughs> I know
0: they have a pretty – they, at least at, at some point, Rafa and Andy, they know each other for a long time. They had a pretty playful relationship. I mean, there's that story.
1: I think they still do, yeah.
0: About uh Rafa, like, seeing Andy across the room at a restaurant once with out with Kim. And Rafa, like, borrowed somebody's phone and, like, texted Andy, like, hey, it's me. Like, you look so cute tonight. It was, like, some groupie or something or some past fling just to, like, buzz on Andy's phone and freak him out. And 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 Andy was duly freaked out by that. He realized later it was Rafa, pranking Andy. Which is so. It just doesn't strike me as like a Rafa thing at all. Making like crank phone calls or crank texts. But I, I enjoy the. Who knew? Initiative.
1: Who knew Rafa's uh, aspirations to be a jerky boy? Right.
0: <laughs> as of Arrested Development, yes, that's pretty good. I'm watching a lot of Arrested Development lately, actually. It's very good. I Highly recommend that. I think on that same line of just being kind of broy with each other. I think that. Andy would just give Rafa like whatever the latest game console is and like several copies of FIFA. Because I feel like those two just are both very good at just switching off the competitive fire around whoever their crew is on tour. They're both guys who can decompress in a more social setting than a lot of the guys at the top in a way that I think Novak has maybe stopped doing as much outside of the Serbs. I think Novak and sorry, I think Rafa and Andy both you know, they're 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 the friend, probably they're I was the friendliest the friendlies, of the, so the big four. Yeah. yeah. They are the closest friends of the Big Four. And so I think, which isn't necessarily saying they're besties on any level, but right now they seem to be. And uh, yeah, I think that would be a, a good thing for them to do. And I think, yeah, they would have a happy time giving each other gifts. It's, it's one of the more plausible gift situations you could have in the ATP Top 10, I think.
1: Agreed. Uh, let's
0: do a couple more here. 328. Okay, so this is number two on WTA, who is... Simona Hallep giving something to number 8 on the ATP who is Kane Shikori Did Simona give K I see Simona not being someone being super commercial I, I see her just kind of like giving him a hug and think <laughs> and thinking that, that was enough
1: okay. in, in,
0: in a really pleasant way I just see Simona being like oh he seems like a nice guy I like you I'll give you a hug and K being like this is nice of her and being totally fine with this hug, it'd be a weird thing to, if you were actually assigned this person in Secret Santa, and was Simona's only task was to buy a gift for cage tour, and she came with a hug. It'd be kind of you might think it was lame or crappy or shirking her responsibility here, but I think they just seem like sort of kindred spirits a little bit okay. in their sort of in their sort of approach to the tour. I mean, they're both I don't know I feel like they're cut from somewhat similar cloth. Is that is that wrong?
1: That's not completely wrong. I can see where you, you're coming from with respect to those similarities. I would think that Simona would give to Kay, because she's such a nice person and very generous. I think Simona would give to Kay her entire Romanian fan base, <laughs> thus creating the ultimate fan base of passionate, yet also like financially lucrative uh, a fan base in all of tennis. Between the, Ro- the Japanese and the Romanians. It's
0: like a crazy alliance.
1: It's an amazing alliance because yes. the Romanians are legit. They show up for Simona. They help. I mean, you know, in the final when she played against Bencic up in Toronto, uh, it felt like it was a, Dave- a Fed Cup atmosphere and that Simona was playing in Budapest. It was amazing. And that was in Toronto. Bucharest, um, yes. Bucharest, yes. sorry. Um, but yeah, like it's it's not so. Um, I would say if, if she were so feeling that, that generous vibe – uh, I suspect she might hand over a few Romanian super fans and really jack up Kay's uh, Q rating amongst uh, Madison Avenue.
0: I think it'd be great. And I think that especially if they could combine forces and like have more uh, synergy between the fan bases somehow and combine their strengths, like the Romanian passion mixed with what I've seen from a lot of the Japanese fans in terms of creativity. Like imagine if someone made like a Simona Halep anime series. She'd be the perfect protagonist for this. She'd be so easily animatable.
1: Princess of Tennis. Yes. Kani Shikori already basically has Prince of Tennis, although that right. before Kani Shikori, but it basically is him. Um, yeah, she could be Princess of Tennis.
0: There you go. We have one last one we'll do here. One last gift at this party, and everyone else is going home empty-handed, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Two, six, three. So this is an atp or given to a wta for the first time. Oh, and it's our substitute atp Bernard Tomic giving something to Garbina Muguruza. <laughs> I thought it was Sharapova. I was excited for it to be Sharapova, but no, it's Muguruza at number three.
1: Tomic to Muguruza. It's
0: a weird word. pairing.
1: That's a weird pairing. I can I can roll with it. I have go one. for it. Go for it. What do you got? I think that what Bernard Tomic could give to Garbina Muguruza is the ability to play her best tennis on South American soil. So Bernard Tomic obviously. Bogota champion. Uh-huh. And Garbina Mugruta has some South American roots. Yeah. Her Venezuelan side. We also have Rio coming up. Um, the ability to play really good tennis when you're in South America would pay huge dividends to Garbina Mugrutha. So I think that's what I would give. Uh if I were Bernard Tomic. is kind of give her that that South American magic. Yeah. And 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 go with that.
0: That's pretty good. I, I can you imagine if Bernard Tomic like won the Olympics?
1: I would quit the WTA and go back to being both a WTA and ATP reporter. It'd be that good. It would be that good.
0: That's a lot. That's saying a lot. Uh, I think it'd be. I think it would bring the Olympics back to a level of ridiculousness, which I wouldn't mind. <laughs> in tennis. Yeah, um, that's
1: true. It might break the Olympics. It might
0: de-gravitas team. it a bit. Which, yeah. But I'm all, or, or may, like, demystify it maybe. If, it's like, if, like, well,
1: Tomic won so. <laughs> What does it really mean?
0: I'm all for that happening. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think Tomek is a very fun one to watch in 2016. He had a great 2015. Very kind of under the radar in a weird way for him. Kirios took all the spotlight in Australia. They sucked up all the oxygen, it seemed like. But Tomek is top 20 and got to the Christmas party. I I think he would give Muguruza something. Muguruza is somebody who I wouldn't think he would think real... To the extent he knows who she is, and I'm not entirely... I'm not convinced he would... Oh, because he seems sort of in his own world. Um, but they're both IMG, I guess. I can see him giving her like uh, the name of like a mechanic on the Gold Coast who could like really soup up her car, or something for like proper hooning. I could, could see, I, I, I see <laughs> oh, him. Oh,
1: I forgot that amazing word.
0: Hooning, yeah. I hooning. Could, I could see Bernard being like, hey, you know, Gabinia, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun if you, you know, uh, you know, roll around in your, uh, your what
1: kind of car did he have? It was, Some ridiculous car. It was a Beamer.
0: Beamer, yeah. Pretty sure. And you're like, you know, lemon-colored Beamer, you just, you know, driving down the streets of uh, Barcelona, but that'd be pretty sweet, you know? And she'd be like, okay. And like, her minders would immediately like, get her away as, as far as away from him as possible. Because I think so many people are relying on both of them, on, on her to be like this very bankable star in the future. And anything associated with Tom that could be seen as a huge, huge risk for her. Yeah, something, something irresponsible. Something like, a, a, you know, uh, a few uh, hydraulics in the car and a, some sort of afterburner type thing with a and a, and a bottle of some something strong in the glove compartment. To, I like to, it. Yeah. Something reckless and fun and y And I'm not sure how she would receive it, but she would uh, hopefully appreciate the gesture. I feel, like he'd be a, I feel like he's a fairly earnest guy, Burner atomic, and would give something that he really would think that you would enjoy. That's
1: I don't feel true, like, actually. I don't he's not like into ironic kids. gifts or no, gag
0: gifts. no, no. He'd be like, I like this. I bet you'll like this. Let's be friends. So, with that, that was Secret Santa for 2016, or 15. Uh, thank you guys for coming to our holiday party, and thank you guys for listening once again to the show. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter, at NCR underscore tennis. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. If you have questions for an upcoming show, we only have one show left in 2015, uh, you can send them to no challenge remaining at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to us on any podcast app of choice, including iTunes, leave us reviews on iTunes and everywhere else that helps us. We appreciate it. And thank you guys once more again for your amazing contributions to our Kickstarter, which is still going strong with a few weeks to go before it's end date at the Australian open. As of recording this, we are over 11,000, which is, so far beyond our expectations and so not so humbling and not so and amazing and great so thank you so much everybody's already given if you haven't given yet we'd love to see people chip in uh just a little bit i mean the thing is we talked about this on the last show too but i just want to echo this sentiment uh courtney that you know i'm more more interested not that the big donations obviously i don't i appreciate them a ton but just getting the number of total backers up if people are giving just the five dollar lowest reward level or even below that if they want to just sort of get on board. Cause I mean, we're still like well under 5% of our average listenership is given so far. Yeah,
1: exactly. Is, we know there are more of you, you guys there out there that listen yeah, and listen regularly. So it's, it's, it's almost look, we're, I, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Ben here, We but I'm just going to say from my perspective, we are so like over the moon with the 11 grand that we already have, that it's obviously so much more than we initially asked for. To me, it's no longer about the money because we are fully funded. And obviously, as much as you guys give will only make the podcast better. It will continue to open up the budget exactly the budget that that we have to do and and pursue projects that we think that you'll really enjoy. So I don't want to say that like 15,000 doesn't mean a difference from 11,000. It absolutely does. Yeah but for us to be able to go to, you know, as we start to look at other ways, like, you know, ideally we wouldn't want to have to go back to you guys all the time or, but, um, find other ways, but to the extent that we can, you know, go to other companies or advertisers and say, look, like this is how committed our fan base is. This is how committed people are in tennis to podcasts as a medium. There's a lot of different ways that it can kind of go. And, you know, like right, right now we have like, you know, whatever, like, um, about 270 donors. Uh, we have about, You know, a hundred or so reviews on iTunes. All of these numbers just really help to kind of prove to people that like, not only do people listen to our podcast based on Mm -hmm. raw numbers, but they really, really listen to our podcast. Like they care.
0: And and to that point, I mean, Courtney, you might have experienced. I'm sure you've experienced this some with you know, even doing the WTA one now. Podcasts are still new. I mean, like I still have to regularly explain what a podcast is to potential guests on the show, or to the tours when I'm asking for an interview request or something like Same that. Same here. Yeah. And people don't automatically know. And so even if, this is, if we're going to year five of NCR, it's still uh, something of an emerging medium uh, and definitely a growing medium. And all this support and everything, I think, definitely helps cement our place. Courtney mentioned before that, you know, people are getting positive feedback from the tours uh, or people in the industry, I guess, about uh, how, how much grassroots support has been shown for this so just i, I, keeping I actually that have, up would be great. yeah
1: and i have an anecdote that I, I think will will maybe help kind of um clarify the situation i've had um a player agent of of a top five player like kind of email me and say like yeah i listen to the podcast it's great you know but but the thing is is like i'm i'm pretty impressed that you guys are getting the amount of support that you are on this Kickstarter campaign because he or she was basically like, I didn't think that you guys would get that, honestly, because in this media age, most people kind of assume that like, like um, consumers just will only consume free content. Right. That the idea of premium content is still a hard sell for people, just like people will always pirate music. They won't pay for an album, that sort of thing. And so he's an example of somebody, oops. (laughs) uh, Well, So anyways, he's an example of somebody who, because he doesn't have access to our raw numbers, he has no idea how many people are listening to our podcast. This is kind of the first insight that he has in terms of how popular the podcast is, which means, and he has said this to me, like he's a little bit more inclined to okay, you know, uh, his player or players to be on the podcast. Because he now doesn't think that this is some like basement thing that, you know, snot-nosed Ben and stupid Courtney do, but that it's actually a thing that has a big following, that has yeah. a big reach, and that actually matters, you know. And, and I think that the, that's one of the examples of somebody who has been paying attention to the Kickstarter campaign and who has told me, yeah, this has now changed, you know, how I see what you guys do. Um, so that's been massive. And then it pays
0: off. And I think in some way it probably changed how we see ourselves a little bit and how we see, uh, you know, like I said, this has been a fairly, this has been an entirely free or we haven't made a single dime off the podcast up to the Kickstarter. If you want to call that making a dime. Um, it's, you know, been,
1: it's been a loss. It's, <laughs> it's been a huge, been a l- huge it's been,
0: loss. It's been a labor of love loss leader that, yeah, it's sort of hard to justify when I step back and being a, free, a freelance person, you know, who time is money on some level all the time. I put an NCR – this year especially with the how many 50 plus episodes we've done uh yeah so this uh all this is to say this has been a great experience we'd love to see it keep going just with those smaller donations still coming we still have rewards bigger rewards out there to be claimed uh still a few a handful left of all the categories we got our first executive producer which is cool uh so one higher one taken but still a lot of smaller ones left and we have a lot of postcards we'll be writing over the course of the next year so uh hopefully we don't get carpal tunnel from that and, uh, yeah, thank you guys again. We'll have a link to our Kickstarter. I will tweet it up, as we've been doing. Hopefully not to everyone's annoyance too much. Annoyed too much. Uh, and we'll have it in the description of the episode, too. So thank you guys if you've already given. If you haven't, uh, still have time. And with that, you ready to rant-rave, Courtney? Sure.
1: Why all- not?
0: All right. You have something? I have something if you want me to go first. Go
1: ahead and go first,
0: Ben. All right. So I'm going to rave about a website. Slash game. I think it actually recently became a mobile app and an iPad app, but I haven't had time to use the app myself yet, so I don't want to vouch for that particularly. But I'm sure it's pretty good. It's for this website and game called GeoGuessr, which is G E O G U E S S R. So no ER, just S S R for the tum- for the you know the Tumblr and whether all the things that drop the ER in the internet. It's one of those. Uh, and it's essentially like advanced placement Carmen San Diego or something. It's um, a game that uses the taps into the Google street view database of the world. And essentially you get five rounds and they drop you some random road in the world. And you have to try to figure out where you are. And so you can like move around and like find like road signs or like intersections or a car that's like driving on the left or right side of the road or like take note of like what kind of trees they are. If it seems like it's like a Northern climate or you're by a coast or you're in a mountain and then pick a, drop a pin onto the world map to guess where you are and you get scored based on how close you were. And it's really fun being a detective and like, if you, you can use it, there are no real like strict rules and you don't have any time limits. So you can like go, if you want, like look at signs and then Google things. Like I was playing earlier today and there was like, I found a a real estate agent, like listing sign in front of somebody's house. and So I like Google the real estate agent and found they operate in Palm Springs, California and so I, like drop my pin in Palm Springs and got a lot of points for getting the correct city. And so it just there's a lot of different ways to do it. It's a very cool game if you're a geography nerd, like I am, or just like seeing the world and get to travel from the comfort of your own house. There are some of them that are really tough. If you get dropped in like the middle of nowhere in like rural Australia, it can be tough to know and there's no cars on the road. It can be tough to know if it's like middle of nowhere Australia or South Africa. They look remarkably the same, those two. That's why I screw up a lot. I highly recommend it anyway. Give it a shot. It can be pretty cool, and uh, you can get some pretty close guesses if you use your detective skills. If you want, I think there's a way to challenge people by sending a link to one game we've completed. If you want to tweet at me, at Ben Rothenberg, uh, your your rounds of scores, and I'll see if how I, we match up or something, I'm happy to do that, too. I just think it's a, a fun game, and highly recommend it. And probably would be very cool for, like, like, if you know, like, kids who are into geography, it's probably a pretty cool sort of problem-solving, spatial, outside-the-box thinking type game for them. So I recommend it. GeoGuessr, it's pretty neato. And it's what? a good thing to do if, like, for the holidays. It's not really holidayish, but if you want to, like, spend time away from your family, like, go find a laptop or a phone and hide it in a corner and travel the world on your own. That's my thoughts. Cool. Yeah.
1: All right. I have three quick hits on the oh, railways. Yeah, they're quick, though. First of all... I saw Sisters over the weekend. Yes. I thought it was gonna be shitty.
0: I thought Um, I think it's gonna be shitty, having just seen the previews.
1: Yep. And in that doesn't that isn't gonna stop me or make my enjoyment any lesser. I liked Baby Mama while also recognizing that it was kind of a flawed movie on every single level, but I still thought it was funny because I think Amy and Tina are hilarious. But Sisters, I was cry laughing. cry laughing um i want to go back and watch it again because i think that there are legit jokes that i've missed because i was laughing so hard the entire like it wasn't just me being awkward and laughing like the entire theater was cracking up my sister uh our friend stephanie um was also there like we were just dying it was great it's not gonna win oscars or anything and it's not gonna go down as a cult classic like mean girls or something like that but it is just a legit Funny, hilarious movie. And the genius twist, I think, not twist, but the genius idea is actually having what people would think is Amy and Tina playing across, uh, against type, when right. actually they actually are playing to type, insofar as like Tina is kind of the meaner one and Amy is kind of the nicer one, but people confuse that because of how they look or how they act or whatever. So Tina being like the potty mouthed disaster was amazing because she is so convincing when she unleashes a barb you're like oh <laughs> shit that was that was ether like you know, like it's just a different level than amy who just sounds like when she does it like she used to do when she was in baby mama it just sounded like a petulant like stupid person
0: yeah i'm curious i'm curious with this disconnect because i've seen the previews for this movie several times and i love tina and amy both of them tina especially probably 30 mean, rock is my favorite tv show of the last decade. Yeah, or so. I'm
1: on Team a. I'm on Team Tina if yeah, I have
0: to choose. For right, sure. but I'm just curious if you think this was just a failed marketing strategy or like terrible trailer making or is it just something that didn't translate would never translate to a to a trailer um, yeah, medium? What what, actually, what went wrong here with the marketing because it looks it, from the out from having not seen it it looks like a bad movie.
1: Right, it looks like a bad movie. No, I think that um a lot of it is the marketing because the funniest jokes in the 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 movie are either really quick under their breath asides Mm -hmm. that like you have to like listen to hear and you're like oh shit that was hilarious um which need time to set up yeah right if you just put it in out of context it's just a word right but but in the context of a scene or what happens like it's hilarious or it's the opposite where it's like a bit that plays across five minutes which gotcha. is, again, doesn't lend itself to a trailer. So the trailer has all the stupid jokes. The really easy jokes that you can kind of get across in 15 seconds. But, um, yeah, uh, there's just, I there's this whole, I don't know, I don't know how Asian Americans will, re, like, activists will react to some of the Asian jokes in it. Uh-oh. I freaking loved it. <laughs> um, there's this whole bit with, like, a Korean, because they go to a nail salon. And Tina Fey is, like, um, a manicurist, so there's a, a tie-in there. But, okay. like, the woman who's doing Amy Poehler's nails is Korean and, like, a Korean immigrant and young. And she does this whole bit with Amy Poehler kind of, about, like, about why Asian people change their names because they're impossible to pronounce. But it's, this, it's actually a more complex joke than that because it also flips it on white people. But um, she's hilarious on a level of, for those of you who've seen Broad City... The Korean girl that's in Broad City. Is it her? No, it's not her. Oh. It's like and I was like, who is this girl? Like, how do I not know who this is? Like, I kind of feel like I know all Asian comedians. And like it wasn't her, but she was so effing funny. Like, and I was dying. And the bit just goes on and on and on and on. And you're like, at some point it ends. I don't know. It never did. And also, Maya Rudolph, amazing, John Cena, who <laughs> killed it in train wreck. Yeah. Also is great in this movie. It's it's totally worth it. I want to see it again before I go down to Australia. It was great. Cool. So, yeah. So that was supposed to be a quick one. Um, so I will reduce my No, you can do all three. Those... You can do all
0: three. Okay. It's the okay. holidays.
1: Sure. So that's one. Another rave. Because it's the holidays, we want to be positive. As people know, as being a tennis writer, you travel a lot. I'm kind of constantly dealing with luggage issues. And it came to my attention... Just recently, because I just didn't realize it until I, I just randomly was like, "Huh, is that?" So there's this website called eBags, which um, is like a luggage, like Amazon, <laughs> mm-hmm. like you know, to buy things and you buy them cheap. And I now have a bunch of eBags branded and developed, like luggage pieces, like the green suitcase that I had then, yep. which you were very well familiar with. That was an eBags suitcase, and I that's, loved it, and it was great.
0: It's past tense. It's gone.
1: Well, yeah, I have a new one because I needed something bigger, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. But here's the thing. I bought a bigger one, which was like literally nine times more expensive than my e-bags one. Um, and it was only, I mean, but it was a little bit lighter and it was bigger. And for my longer trips, I needed more luggage space. Um, And I still think my e-bags one is a better suitcase for what it is compared to this brand name one that I paid so much money for right but anyway so i have that i i I just bought this carry-on that's great um i have like the e-bags like um uh you know the bags that you put shirts and socks in you know to kind of compartmentalize your packing anyways it just kind of dawned on me that i really like their branded products and they're really well made and good quality and really well thought out so i just was throwing that out there for anybody who needs luggage i think the e-bag stuff is great
0: can I give yeah. a luggage sidebar to anybody listening to this who might be taking, it's someone in the tennis industry, yourself included, who might be taking multiple bags with them to Australia and making a domestic Australian flight? Australian airports charge obscene amounts of money for extra luggage. Like they, they charge you like 50 Australian dollars for like the first 15 kilos and like 25 additional dollars for each additional kilo.
1: Really? something
0: insane. Like I had to pay, I had to once had to pay like, Two hundred twenty dollars for one piece of luggage once. I mean, I was granted, fine. with
1: the current exchange rate, that's like forty two cents.
0: But getting there, but not quite, not quite. It's like five to four. But yes, um, but like I, yeah, I was the last time I went to Brisbane. I'm going to Brisbane again this year, in twenty fourteen. I was like freaking out at the check in counter, going to Melbourne, and like ripping all the stuff out of my bag. They also like weigh your carry on bag, uh, and it was just terrible. And so I like threw away like a few books and like a few towels or something at the airport. It was. Throwing a huge stink like tantrum, which is not really my style at all. But anyway, if you pay for the extra bags in advance, they cost like twenty-five or thirty dollars. That's so, good to know.
1: Because I have three yes, bags.
0: Yes. So if you're, I have my
1: backpack, a carry-on, and then my check luggage.
0: Yeah. So go on just check the baggage policies of whatever airlines you're taking within Australia, especially. Like usually in international Australia. flights. Usually international flights are pretty good about letting the second bag on relatively cheap, um and checked or whatever. Um, but the domestic ones are not. They re- know. They're very kind of scammy airports. So that's just that's my my PSA to anybody in the tennis industry listening to this who might be or fans or whatever going around Australia who might be doing an intra Australia flight prepay, you will save yourself airport fury later
1: on. That's good stuff. Yeah. So there's there's the luggage. Now it wouldn't be me if I didn't have a rant. Yes, please. So I'm gonna rant about something. Throughout the last month two months, whatever. I've had to sit there and see all this stuff about Star Wars blowing up, all of the marketing tie-ins. It's exhausting. I love Star Wars. I am i have a whole separate rant about the whole marketing of Star Wars. But let's just say, let's just leave it at that. Star Wars is everywhere. Everybody loves space. Space is awesome. Space technology is amazing. Great. Then today, I've got to sit there and see my entire timeline blow up about the Miss Universe pageant, which nobody gave a crap about until Steve Harvey... I think, intentionally botched the announcing of the names and whatever. And then now all of a sudden, like, the Miss Universe thing went viral.
0: No one will be talking about Miss Universe if it wasn't for that. I, I buy into that from that angle. Yeah, yeah. That's,
1: my, that's my position. But, so you're talking about Star Wars and space and universe. Meanwhile, today, on Monday, a huge, huge breakthrough when it comes to space travel Occurred. Which is that SpaceX, which is the startup company um, that has basically been trying to develop rockets to – well, let me back up. The biggest challenge to making space travel possible from a consumer perspective in terms of like sending up people to space Mm -hmm. is cost. The reason why it's so expensive is because up until literally today, we have never been able to – mankind has never been able to figure out how to get a ship to go into space – and back without destroying itself. So if you think about it. Right. If every air, if every, as one of the examples that I saw online, I think from, from Luke Fritz, uh, who I follow and who's great, who's from Portland, um, said, like, if every flight that you took, the airplane, you know, became inoperable once you landed, flights would be hell of expensive, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It would be like a $1.5 or whatever, like a $15 million, well, however much planes, I don't know how much planes cost, <laughs> but divided by 200 seats or something, right? Right. So in this situation with SpaceX, startup company, um, CEO is Elon Musk, who's been, uh, yeah, it, anyways, he they finally figured it out. And they launched a, a 15-story rocket, I think it's Falcon 9, up into space, dispatched a payload of 13 satellites. And that's all fine. That's all been done before. But we're able to get it back and had it land at Cape Canaveral intact. It like was a, upright, a, right? Upright. Yeah. It's like a trip. Like if you see the videos, I've tweeted them, but it's amazing because it almost looks like you're like, wait, am I watching something in reverse? Like, am I watching the, the, the liftoff in reverse? But no, like the rocket comes down in a big burst and then like it lands. And so it's. So I, I guess, huge. I guess
0: like space shuttles would land like airplanes. I mean, they had wheels. Right. And they could take off like, but they had all this launching Yeah,
1: that
0: would be one time, one use. And one I guess time this one use. has almost none of that.
1: Right. I mean, basically what you're talking about is a situation where the only cost is very similar to airplanes, which is the fuel. Okay. So apparently the fuel to send Falcon 9 up into uh, space and then bring it back was $200,000, which is very different. It's still a hell of a lot of money. But that's very different from the, whatever, millions of dollars that it took to build it.
0: Was this a manned rocket or no?
1: It wasn't manned. Okay. So there's a lot of things like that. But you are talking about a situation where like we've now, like mankind, and I there's a bit of pride a little bit here, flying the red, white, and blue, that the two big breakthroughs that have occurred have been American breakthroughs. So Falcon 9 via SpaceX, and then... Also, Jeff Bezos was able to get. He has a um a space company called um Blue, Blue Origin that launched a rocket, but it was like suborbital. It didn't really go to space. It like went to the edge of the atmosphere. But he was able to land it like last month. And there was like shit talking between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. It was hilarious. It was super nerdy. Um, uh, yeah, That's cool. it, yeah, it's great and it's so cool and it's a really big deal. And maybe in our lifetimes we might not see what it means but again if we're going to be so freaking obsessed with space and other galaxies and universes and all these sorts of things theoretically depending on what you believe this is like a huge step towards like discovering and like getting people up there and like living in space and going up to space and traveling up to space i mean it sounds like really cuckoo but it's not cuckoo as of today because of what spacex did so that was my rant is that it's just so annoying that I'm seeing like all of this stupid space stuff being tweeted left and right about fictional space and fictional space wars.
0: Were you were you lumping Miss Universe into fictional space? So I'm clear.
1: Well, I'm I'm saying it's a fictional universe battle. Okay. Competition. <laughs> okay. And we're literally talking about like a thing that happened today that makes all of those things a little bit closer to reality. And okay. it's massive. It's 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 a really, really Really big deal. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was a guy who's like a, a, you know, a, a scholar or whatever, and former Na- and a NASA consultant who was like, you know, when are the grandchildren of our children are colonizing space? You will look back to this date as being the date that everything kind of began. So, look it up. Falcon Nine, SpaceX. They did a freaking awesome thing, and it deserves to be blowing up all over the world. I wish people would understand what's going on. And the other. Sorry. The other thing that's related to this rant, because when I was a kid and I remember like watching, I mean, there were a lot of obviously space shuttle tragedies uh, with the Challenger, because I still remember where I was when the Challenger exploded. But there was all these things. And like NASA was dope. Like when I was young, I wanted to go to space camp. There was a freaking movie called Space Camp in the 80s. It made everything <laughs> awesome, and it was something that you wanted to aspire to. But ever since, like, the Cold War has ended, funding to NASA has really decreased. The Kind of the need and the propaganda-related reasons for space exploration and things like that have really gone down. And so it's not, not a surprise that the biggest breakthroughs in space travel have been through private startups because yeah. the government is no longer getting the funding to do it what i would love to see and it's something that i intend to do with like my niece who's only two years old but like to show her these videos and to like make her dream about being an astronaut again you know because it's like a viable thing again. i
0: don't think kids dream it's like yeah it's less i feel like it was a very common dream for people our age pretty much
1: yeah and once
0: and once yeah once uh nasa i forget what exactly what the end of it was maybe it was the second space shuttle crashing i think it was columbia
1: Yeah, it was Columbia, Um, but also, I mean, all of that, a lot of that had to do with the funding being decreased by for for NASA because we were no longer at you know uh, in the midst of the Cold War with Russia, so no one really cared as much. And then corners were getting cut, and then space shuttles were exploding, and that wasn't working really well for anyone. But yeah, it would be cool to have a generation again of kids who wanted to be astronauts again. And the thing is, that's cool about the SpaceX Falcon Nine video is they show Mission Control when the spaceship lands and they're going nuts and if you look really closely it's a lot of young dudes in hoodies which is very different from like what mission control used to look like in movies which was like a lot of really geeky engineer guys with pocket protectors yeah so the hoodie is the new pocket protector but you know it just goes to show like the youth i mean mit tweeted and they were like you know congratulations to our former graduates like this is a huge day for you because basically everybody who graduated from mit now works at like one of these companies anyways it's a really big deal and i would like for people to understand that it's a really really big deal and it's super exciting
0: to keep this fourth or fifth rant going even longer have <laughs> you have you seen have you read the book uh the right stuff by tom Wolf? i have of course it's yeah. so good it's, it's so a good side plug if you guys are interested in like romantic, not even romanticizing but like the sort of aspirational astronaut origins of like how that became the awesome thing to be to be yep. a space cowboy it's it's a great book i highly recommend it so you guys can read in the off season as we gear up hope everybody has an awesome holidays uh if you're celebrating this time of year and we will see you guys one last time in 2015 see you guys later bye bye
1: to infinity and beyond
0: that's really nerdy
1: thank you